Hey, and welcome to another episode of Fast Forward, a podcast from QSR Magazine, where we talk to the founders, innovators, and entrepreneurs behind some of the world's most exciting fast casual restaurant concepts. My name is Sam Okus. I'm the editor of QSR and the editorial director of Food News Media. And on today's episode, we're talking with George Frangos, the co-founder of Farm Burger, a better burger concept based in Atlanta, founded in Athens, Georgia, and is now expanded to 11 units across the country. Uh, Farm Burger, I, I say it's a better burger concept, but it's probably more appropriate to say that it's a better, better burger concept. Uh, this is a brand that uh, is really true to its name when it says it's Farm Burger. It has deep roots to the farming community, is very conscious about its sourcing and getting its ingredients from farmers, uh, and was even founded uh, by a farmer. So co-founder Jason Mann, uh, he is uh, a farmer himself, and he has had a restaurant in Athens, Georgia, called Farm 255. Uh, and in 2010, he partnered with restaurateur jo- George Frangos on doing a fast casual spinoff of Farm 255 because they were selling so many of their burgers that they called the Farm Burger. Uh, and together, Jason and George, they launched Farm Burger in 2010 in Decatur, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Uh, and and really, as they say, the rest is history. It's, it's now grown to those 11 units um, and has really stuck to that very conscious uh, sourcing program that it does. Uh, Now, it's interesting when you talk about the better burger category. Uh, You know, this is something that got very saturated, uh, I think, very fast when you saw the success of brands like Five Guys uh, and then Shake Shack. uh, You know, there's a lot of brands that kind of try to jump into this space and tried to do the better burger thing, uh, leaving customers with a lot of options. Um, But Farm Burger really does take it to the next level. Um, I actually had a chance to eat lunch there uh, just before I sat down with George Frangos. Uh, And I mean, this is this is a concept that has bone marrow on its menu for crying out loud. You can get $3 bone marrow. Where else in the fast casual industry can you do that? Uh, So they really elevate their menu and, again, have this really elevated uh, sourcing structure that George and I uh, discuss uh, in this episode. Um, And the other thing, too, again, is the farm-to-table movement. Uh, This was something that was really buzzy. Uh, I guess it was, you know, starting around 2010 when Farmburger launched the farm-to-table dining movement was, um, you know, it was becoming really uh, popular and, and customers were really conscious about where their ingredients were coming from. Uh, but, you know, there was a difference between those brands that were actually doing it and those who were saying they were doing it. Uh, and at one point in our conversation, as you'll, you'll hear, George and I discuss um, a, a, a much renowned article that came out uh, a few years ago uh, in a newspaper out in, down in Tampa Bay um, that would basically kind of cracked open the fact that a lot of restaurateurs were lying about doing farm to table. Uh, and you know, that's, <laughs> well, it's a big no, no, uh, you know, but, um, that really kind of called into the question and called into question, I think the integrity of a lot of the farm to table eating movement. Um, but, but farm burger is, you know, they, they have stuck to their guns and they have really, um, you know, followed that, uh, followed that, that ethos, uh, since day one and have now expanded to again, 11 units, uh, across several States and plans to grow across the Southeast. So, uh, really enjoyed my conversation with co-founder George we discussed um, the farm burger's growth, its origin story, and uh, really how it sticks to those ideals of sourcing locally and from farms. Um, and I just think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So uh, I will now uh, pass you on to my conversation with co-founder George Frangos of Farm Burger. 
All right, I am here with George Frangos of Farmburger. George, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure being here. Thanks, Sam. So, George, we're going to talk a little bit about Farmburger, where it came from, um, how it has successfully grown across the Southeast, and now you guys have one restaurant in California as well. But let's start first before Farmburger. Let's go back to sort of your past and where you came from originally before Farmburger. Yeah, that's that's a long story. We'll try to make it short. Um, (laughs) But I've been really in the restaurant business my entire life, you know, going way back to, you know, busboying and fast food jobs when I was 15, 16. Uh, Ended up following that to Cornell Hotel Restaurant Program um, and uh, moved on to there through some hotel work, always food and beverage oriented. And over the years, ended up working with independent restaurants and worked for a restaurant in uh, Washington, D.C. called Restaurant Nora with Nora Puyan. So, and it was my first uh, eye-opening experience into what didn't have a label back then, but now is called farm-to-table dining. Uh, we had farmers and Amish chicken guys coming in and bringing us product all the time. And uh, it was really eye-opening uh, about a different way the food system and restaurants can work in sourcing. Uh-huh. And um uh, spent about four or five years uh, managing her restaurant there. Um, worked my way up to New York City and worked with uh, a chef called Peter Hoffman with Savoy Restaurant. And same kind of commitment to local sourcing, shopping at uh, Union Square Green Market, um, and kind of continued my passion into that side of the, the restaurant side. But always more full service, fine dining. And from there, worked my way up to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, which was a magical place to live if you can live or live there because you're right, uh, uh, salt, air, um, lobster, seafood, everything. It's not a bad place to, to live as long as you can take the cold and the snow. Um, and uh, had a restaurant there with an old chef from Norris uh, called Victory 96 State Street. And um, I did well enough to pay the bills but not well enough to make a living. So uh, found my way down to Atlanta and worked with a restaurant group here in Atlanta. And um, very, if we want to circle it back to how I met Jason, my partner, yeah. uh, in Farmburger, one of these, is it six degrees of separation? Is that is that the word? But uh, got a call from uh, my chef and partner in New Hampshire who's still running our restaurant and uh, looking for kind of my front of the house replacement and said he had this guy walk in who used to be a partner of a restaurant in Athens called Farm 255. And like, could I vet it and check it out? And I looked it up and um, I said, that's a cool little restaurant. So, and this was Jason's restaurant in Athens, Georgia. And um, he was running a small farm, uh, raising a couple of pigs, some cattle, and everything was going to this restaurant in Athens. Um, and so... Um, I told my buddy, chef, looks like a very legit place. Um, and I really wanted to meet Jason. I'm like, who is this guy behind this restaurant? And, um, and so we ended up meeting. Um, and um, actually, I think we met the first time we met. I was still working for this restaurant group, general manager of very high-end French restaurant here in Atlanta. And Jason was getting married. And it was sort of like a bachelor lunch um, and so, uh, so my partner ended up hiring his partner 
in New Hampshire. So Jason's partner in his restaurant in Athens was now kind of running my old restaurant <laughs> in New Hampshire. <laughs> he That's came a down for Jay- yeah, he came down for Jason's wedding. I put together this this big like twelve course luncheon for all the guys. And uh, I met Jason at that point. We just started talking business, and he said, "I've got this restaurant in Athens. Maybe you can help me out on the on the front end and the number side." And then so we connected, and I did some consulting for him, and that kind of led into Farmburger. So gotcha, because um, it was kind of like a flip flop. It's like his old partner went to run my old restaurant, and then I came and took his partner's spot. What is it? What, what was it that helped you guys click? Why? Why did was that partnership? It seems like it was pretty natural from the beginning. You know, I think. Um, you know, Jason came from a uh, uh, farming background, an agriculture background, and a, an entrepreneurial background. Um, and really, it started the restaurant as a uh, economic resource of what if, you know, a farmer, a small farmer had a restaurant. So he had an instant supply chain. And so it was him and a lot of buddies who, you know, were rare successful in the restaurant business which is like not a hard, easy thing to do um so they needed that expertise on just front of the house systems how to do food cost a lot a lot of things that they were that they were doing but weren't sure if like is this really how you run a business a restaurant and so it was a good fit for me to kind of fill those holes for them um and so um and then i was really from my background with Nora's and savoy really intrigued everything he was doing on that farming side it seems like you have a pretty specific passion for farm to table. Where does that come from? Why is that something that you've really taken to? Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, you know, at an early age in, in my 20s and having uh, being around what I would call trailblazers in, in that field. In Anora's kind of like the Alice Waters of the East Coast. Sure, and, and yeah. Peter was doing his thing in in um, in New York. And, and actually, they, they uh, founded an organization called Chef's Collaborative, um, which is still in existence today. Uh, and it's really educating chefs into sourcing and, and better food and, and where our food comes from and partnering them with farmers and, and how they can make changes within their restaurants mm-hmm. themselves. Um, and Jason was doing the same thing. So it was really interesting to find somebody doing that in the South. Sure. It's kind of new to the South as well. So, so he had Farm 255. Yep. Tell me about the process of that going to Farm Burger. How did that idea kind of come about? So that was, this is a story I like, because it was sure. almost one of those. <laughs> you don't like the other ones? No, no, I like but it, They're great. Uh, yeah. But this is almost that light bulb moment. Like sure. if there was that animated light bulb over my head, this is when it would have happened. So, um, you know, looking at his business, he's in this college town of Athens, big SEC, and um, a lot of their volume was, was during the big home games. That's when it was just like crazy for three days. And uh, he was raising cattle, and he had a burger on the menu called the Farm Burger, I think, at the time, and all grass-fed beef. Um, and you would look at the sales mix and all the analyticals and stuff, and it would be like, you know, 60% of what we're selling is burgers. And, you know, we're probably having a beer, and, and he says, you know, I've always thought of just, like, raising the cattle and just, like, doing away with this full service and just, you know, just doing a burger joint, you know. And, and that was the light bulb in my head. I was kind of still interested in and starting an, another business of my own and um thought like that's a great idea we should do it you know and um maybe a month later um our first location in decatur georgia had a for rent sign on it mm-hmm. uh it was 2009 so the economy wasn't so great so the opportunity was a very low investment and i called jason up and i said you want to do that burger thing i got a <laughs> spot let's do it and wow. and that was it so it was 
One of those businesses are born out of a discussion and an idea. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a big business plan. Um, we felt that we both had strengths to to bring to launching something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of figured it out from the time we signed our lease to the five months it took us to, to open our doors. Wow. Yeah. So this is so 2009. Mm-hmm. This is Five Guys has, has scaled pretty much yep. across the country, but it's sort of before Shake Shack became Shake Shack. And yeah. so what you guys are doing was, was really innovative, especially for yep. Atlanta. Um, what was the response? I mean, did you guys have a line out the door from day one or what is that like? Yeah, we, we actually did. And uh, another funny story that I like. <laughs> um, so I brought in, in a friend of ours to help on the management side a little bit just to stay for a few weeks. And he ended up staying, uh, he and his wife about five years with us. Um, and it was opening day and we're like, do we put balloons out? It's like, what do we do? Um, and we knew there was a buzz in, in our little community and, and, and part of Atlanta, we were an indicator about us. And, um, before we really could do that or get balloons or anything, um, we opened our doors and there was like a line out the door. Wow. And that was, the first like recognition of like what social media could do. Oh, sure. Because yeah. we didn't know why we were so busy. And then somebody said, Oh, you were like on thrill list of like what to do in Atlanta today. And I'm like, what's thrill list? You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think, you know, Yelp and all those things were just like in infancy a little bit and growing. And, um, and indeed we were like on the, the thrill list of, you know what today. And I think daily candy was around then and stuff. And, that just really, really pushed it for us right out the gate. Um, what, tell me about the Decatur market. Is that I know that's just outside downtown Atlanta, but yeah. is that similar to Athens? I mean, did you have sort of a similar clientele? You know, it is. Okay. The, the Decatur is, um, you know, a very forward thinking. It's it's basically attached to the city of Atlanta, but it's it's its own town, its mm-hmm. own city, its own downtown. Um, and it's always been very forward thinking. They've got a great school system. They had a farm to table, uh, school program that they're starting. And actually the city itself was very interested in us, uh, opening up indicator, you know, so they gave us a lot of help and support. Um, and, um, so it's a very young families, um, you know, educated demographics, a really great demographic. So if you think of like a Boulder, Colorado, or Berkeley, or something like that. Um, so it really fit what we were doing really well. Gotcha. And so you guys wanted to do this burger concept. You wanted yeah. to get away from the full service thing. That was still the infancy of like the really big fast casual movement. So fast casual existed, but maybe not to the extent, of course, that it does today. Was that in the back of your mind, thinking like we can scale this thing? Is that was that sort of the intent? Yeah, I think um, there was the idea of let's just do this one restaurant let's you know his restaurant in athens did well but still had its moments of struggling i came from a restaurant that struggled so we knew the challenges of just having one successful so we said let's before we you know put the cart in front of the horse right um we said let's focus on this one but let's think about if it works how could we easily replicate it you know, so as we were coming up with systems or flow or menu, we did think about in the back of our mind, it's like, okay, what would it be like to open a second or a third as we create our system? So we didn't have a big plan to say we're going to get to X many stores in year three or, or five, but it was sitting in the back of our head for sure. 
But of course, the farm to table piece of this, I don't think, certainly back then, nobody had really scaled something like that. So did you have sort of a model you were looking at? Anybody you were trying to really sort of replicate the success of? Or was this all just kind of new to everybody? Yeah, for us, it was definitely new. You know, if I look back at that first three years, two years, I mean, we, I wouldn't say we had issues, but we definitely had constant problem solving, right? So it was either our sourcing or our farm relationships, um, and especially because our volume was, you know, much higher than we thought on paper. So that was an, a quick problem we had to solve. <laughs> uh, we've always been integrated with our, our processors, you know, very deep uh, relationship. So, um, so that was something we definitely had to stay ahead of. And, and that was Jason's expertise. So he was sort of the boots on the ground working with our local farmers and our cattlemen and the processors and, and just how do we get it from the field, you know, on a bun. Sure. You know, so. So, okay, so farm to table, that really became a buzzword, I guess, six, seven years ago, let's Mm -hmm. say. And so all of a sudden, you started to see a lot of restaurant concepts trying to kind of pursue this model. But what you also started to see a couple years ago, there's this big expose in, I think, Florida of restaurants that were totally lying about it. Because on one hand, you have customers that think one thing about farm to table. And then on the other hand, you have restaurants and their actual actions Mm -hmm. and and actually sourcing from local chefs and, and, and vendors. So for you guys... Obviously, you're walking the walk, but how do you sort of get through that without falling into the traps of like what this is as a buzzword? Yeah, it, it's um, when we started, we purposely didn't want to be too in your face. Mm-hmm. You know, so some people might say that's not true because you go into a restaurant and you have pictures of cattle and our farmers and you're like, yeah, that's what you're going to eat. <laughs> um, but we really trained our staff to have the knowledge we take them to the farms and so they could speak about what we were doing but there wasn't a lot of you know we had a small little mission statement on the wall but it wasn't um this is from this farmer and this is from here and this is why we do it and it's you know the whole story you could find the story but we weren't blasting it at people and now as you said this the space has gotten more crowded and a little cloudy um i think the article out of tampa was fantastic mm-hmm. um it ended up saying a lot of things I was thinking and seeing. Um, and so what we found now here, I'd say going back to last uh, year or two years, is that we need to now kind of tell our message more, mm. right? So um, because there are a lot of places that, you know, they might be doing some good work, but it might be 10% what they're doing mm-hmm. or 5% or 15%, you know, as, as opposed to the level we're at. Um, in our sourcing, in our model. So it's it's definitely something that's changed for us, you know, as we've evolved. It's yeah. like, how do we clearly get that message out and, and say what we're doing? What, what do you think customers want to know about it now? I mean, especially because, right. talking about buzzwords, mm-hmm. customers kind of move on to the next buzzword, right? Yeah. They tend to get a little um, uh, sort of short-term memory, I think, with a lot of various, let's call them, trends. Yeah. Um, so today, when, when you say farm-to-table to a customer, what do you think that means to them, and how do you guys provide that? You know, for us, it's, it's that transparency. I think that's the biggest um, buzzword now, you know, is, is transparency. Are people walking the walk? You know, so how do we show that and, and how do we prove that? So it's not just farm to table um, because, yeah, when you go into a grocery store and, and you might see organic frosted flakes and 
I don't know if that's a thing, but there's <laughs> there's probably something close to that. I'm right? sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it starts to make you think it, it gets watered down, you know. And um, so for us, it's it's telling the stories, you know. So it's it's telling the stories of why we do it. Um, it's telling the stories of who really are our critical partners in, and kind of telling the story of, like, it's not easy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sure. Know, it's 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 difficult for us to do what we do at our, our scale and our level. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit because I, th- I think this is interesting because it seems like for farm to table, maybe there is a little bit of a, a ceiling for some restaurant businesses mm-hmm. in terms of how much you can scale because of what product you can source. Walk me through sort of this process of how you do source your foods. How are you ensuring that you're getting all of the foods that you're saying you're getting? Mm-hmm. Um well, our, our bread and butter is, is our proteins, so our beef. Um, and that is how we ensure that is our hands are deep in it every day. You know, So that model, uh, originally when we started, we were raising some of our own cattle. Um, you know, We had our own farm and partner. We had uh, like 80 to 100 pigs that were all pasture-raised. And um, as we grew, that wasn't really possible for us to scale at that level. So um, our cattle producers... We're in the fields. We're meeting with them. We're seeing what they're doing. We have our our own internal um, you know codes that we like to fo- uh, follow. Where we ensure uh, certification from grass fed associations, animal welfare associations, and so we're really you know boots on the ground um, doing what we're, we're doing, and so not taking the word from it from like you know a supplier or something like that. So the supply is is our supply. Um, and so as we've been able to scale it is we've found the partners that have been important sometimes are the logistic partners, right? So as we're going into five, six states, we've really uh, looked for, you know, the, the U.S. foods mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so we've used these and tapped into these resources as, as not a product supplier, but a logistics, almost like a shipping partner. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so we're able to say, here's our product. Um, on the on the back end from the beginnings from the farms or from the fields or from the processor and we're going to need you guys to like handle it ship it and distribute it to our farm burgers right right and so that's been how we've been able to scale it is, is found the, the niches that work for us where we're still not giving up um that real hands-on um sourcing were there a lot of hoops to get through with the logistics piece i mean did that take a while to build up or were the were the the vendors there and ready to go um, it, yeah, it took time, you know, it, it's one of the, I, I feel, um, on some levels it seems like it didn't take time, but if you go back and look at it and like, wow, we started these conversations like maybe like 18 months ago, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, and like, here we are, it's actually happening now. Um, so it wasn't something that was a snap of the fingers. Um, but I think the partners were really excited to do it and get involved. It was, um, and sometimes for the, some of these bigger partners and the logistics is getting them to look at their business differently and realizing it's a space that they want to get into, um, and, and figuring that piece out too. And I guess as other restaurants were getting more involved with this at the time, that is sort of a rising tide lifting all boats kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, um, on our produce side and our small farmers is really identifying some of those relationships where they saw the benefit for their own business and that where they could, you know, okay, I don't have to sell to six restaurants. I could just sell to three farm burgers because they're going to buy the same amount of arugula every week as long as I can grow it. Right. Right. Yeah. Whereas 
more of a full-service chef might be like, oh, I want arugula this week. I'm like, eh, next week I'm going to do chicory or, or a different green or something like that. And so having some of these static items on our menu um, has really helped us uh, with some of our growers and, and farmers on that side too. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Let's walk back then to, so you opened Decatur. That's your first farm burger. Yeah. What, what's the time frame to number two? What was the process of getting the second one open? Right. Um, probably about 10 months out, I'd say. Okay. You know, we, we were still, you know, we didn't have sort of this honeymoon period in Farmerger and Decatur. It was busy and then it just stayed busy, right? Um, we had only 2,000 square feet. One thing coming from fine dining and full service, I realized fast casual, it's like a lot less moving parts. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we were able to create some really good systems, uh, had great managers and people who I could trust running that day to day. So we felt good looking for that second spot. Um, and um, it was still the economy was still in a little bit of rut. So there was a lot of good value on, on the real estate side. Oh, true. Um, so a lot of really good deals to be made around rents and leases and, and, uh, second generation spaces. And so, uh, we found a spot up in Buckhead Okay, as is where we went to. And, um, you know, we had, again, a, a team that wanted to grow. You know, we had our own people be like, open another one. Come on, let's do this. And so that that was great. That mm-hmm. made it so much easy. Um, sure. And then going into that second one, we really reaped the benefits of that kind of cut and paste, you know, um, out of the box. A lot of things were similar. We weren't finding just different cutlery or different design. We were able to use what we learned in the first one um, and apply it to that second one. And so I think that that opening, that systems – how we built that one out was, you know, uh, pretty painless. But maybe that was nine years ago, and I'm remembering it differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have amnesia for those painful memories. Right? Yeah, yeah. So Buckhead, that must have been a little bit of a different demographic than Decatur. Mm-hmm. I imagine it had a lot more businesses. Maybe it boosted lunch. I mean, what what was the differences maybe between those two stores? Yeah, and that, that was the one where we, you know, shout out of the cannon at lunch. You know, day one, it was busier lunches than we had even seen in Decatur. Um, but the challenge is there being more in this uh, office setting, not as much as a, a finite neighborhood um, where we had to work on building the weekend and and um, uh, the weekend and the evening business. Um, so those were different challenges for us, um, but there were still two different solid day parts. There were still solid uh, daytime business and weekend business, um, but they were, they were different. The people we saw at lunch – um, were going home to Alpharetta or downtown or wherever they might be living. Yeah. And so we had to really tap into two different almost democra- de- demographics in that neighborhood, in that area. Gotcha. Um, and so, uh, but we figured that out. Uh, what we figured, interesting enough, was a lot of people who lived in Buckhead we're still going down to the Decatur store. Oh, that's <laughs> they're, weird. They're big farmer fans, and they had, you know, it was like, we've been open for three months. They're like, you have a restaurant in Buckhead now? And they're like, where is it? <laughs> um, um, so so we realized we had to kind of like do a little bit more education and get the word out, and um, and that business grew. It took about maybe three, four months to, to get that, that supplement to your business, but within that time, it was just as strong as the Decatur store. So this all, this sounds to me like, you know, you're, you're kind of just like, 
sailing. I mean, your business is strong in Decatur. Your business is strong in Buckhead. Mm -hmm. Was there any moment that it felt like maybe this isn't going to work? I mean, did you guys hit any speed bumps along the way? Well, Buckhead did have, I mean, that speed bump, that weekend and evening business, you know, was a speed bump, you know, um, where it did put a little bit of financial pressure on us for that first three months. But we kind of dug in and we knew the base was there. We just had to really just get out to the people and let them know we were here. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that lunch business was so strong and the reception was good. And and the, the business, I think, was operating very smoothly. There weren't hiccups about, you know, our own internal operations. And so, so that was certainly a little bit of a stress in that second one. We're like, okay, it's not going to be completely easy um but as as we went to our third and our fourth store the third being in, in dunwoody in georgia and then fourth being up in Asheville, mm-hmm. um you know other than sometimes just like logistics and operations and in uh, spreading ourselves thin and, and figuring out how do we layer on more management or the right people um you know that that first phase of growth um went well okay so, so I live in North Carolina. I've okay. spent a lot of time in Asheville, yeah. and I'm very familiar with the, the farm mm-hmm. burger there in Asheville. Yeah. You know, that's a tourist town, um, yeah. and it's, it's, a, it's a very unique market. And so not only is that your first out-of-state farm yeah. burger, but that's a little bit of a different vibe than the Atlanta area. What did you learn with that location? Um, it, it is a different vibe, but it's like our vibe. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think we purposely sought out Asheville because of that. Um, Jason's sister lived in the, in the city, so he knew it well. And he was like, "That's those are farm burger kind of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, the education curve, you know, was low for us in terms of like people would get what we were trying to do. Um, but it was important for us to, you know, a lot of our sourcing and local sourcing was in an Atlanta, Georgia geographic area. So we did work hard to find, you know, uh, the farmers and supply chain that was more local and, and regional to Asheville, um, um, and Blue Ridge area and stuff. So that was important to us. So, so we did that we have some different cattle partners there that we might have in Georgia. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, it is a tourist city. That's, yeah. It's grown and grown uh, yeah. as well. Oh, Sometimes um, it's annoying. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yes. it's annoying if you want to go there now, for a I weekend. Know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's gotten it's certainly grown. I mean, there was maybe two hotels downtown when we yeah. started. Now there's six or seven. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that Farmburger can work anywhere? I know that you're in Tennessee, Alabama. You have one shop out in California. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think of all those places, I think, great agriculture mm-hmm. could you drop one of these in the midwest could you drop one of these in the northeast do you think this this concept works everywhere yeah i do think the concept works everywhere um i think our biggest challenge now is just a crowded landscape you mm-hmm. know and i think this is with all the different restaurants and, and ideas if it's you know pizza or sandwich or mediterranean um you know there's this there was this great early growth right about the time we started um and now everybody's trying to hit different cities and different markets and everybody. And so you're kind of bumping into, you know, a lot of these, your competition who you wouldn't have bumped sure. into before. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's really our biggest challenge. I don't, I think our, our mission on, on our sourcing and what we stand for, I think can be, um, you know, we can put roots down anywhere. So you see your competition is not just the burger space. Right. Yeah. It would be all of fast casual. You think, um, 
Yeah, to a certain to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, when you're going to a market and there's maybe five different fast casuals, right? You know, I think if there was just like one fast casual pizza or one fast casual Mediterranean or or one sandwich place, it wouldn't be a competitive. But when you're looking at three pizza places and three barbecue places and three this, then then you're like, okay, everybody's fighting for that lunch business, yeah, you know, or weekend business or family business. And it's interesting. We're, we're starting to see um, the fast casual industry as a whole is, is maybe slowing down a little bit in mm-hmm. its growth. Um, and you're also starting to see a little bit of contraction. Um, mm-hmm. Some companies closing, some you know, through acquisitions, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, I don't think that undermines the, the foundation of what fast casual is, but it does mean that you know, you've got to be prepared to rise above the competition. How are you guys doing that at Farmburger? Yeah, I think operations are, are key to what we do. So it's, you know, I don't think between, you know, sourcing our food execution and our service execution, they're all three equals, right? And I guess you'd put financial performance in there as well. Um, so we could source whatever food we want in, in great sourcing model, but if we can't execute on a daily basis with the team on the floor and the service, you know, so uh, that's an important piece to us. Like that service model, it's, it's something that I brought to the restaurant from this, this fine dining full service um, background and yeah. some of our, my early management staff. And so, um, you know, we always talk about what we call like service beyond the counter, you know, so like, well, what can we do to touch tables in this maybe industry or fast casual that doesn't always put a premium on that, you know? So, um, um, so that's, that's equal areas for us to be, we know we always have to be strong in everything we do. So I just ate lunch at Farmburger, and I have to tell you, I think at least three table touches from employees, incredibly generous. But also, you guys have bone marrow on the menu, and this is just amazing to me that a fast casual can sell bone marrow for $3, and you don't see that anywhere. How how do you keep up things like that and still maintain this fast casual mentality, and certainly fast casual um, sales and and all the numbers? Yeah. You know, we were also born, um, you know, chef-driven we say. And so that is important. Um, when we look at our sourcing and the whole animal, uh, bone marrow and oxtail, and those are things that, that came from um, full utilization of, of proteins and animals. And, and how do you put them in? Um, I did see it happening. There's a, a burger place up in DC. I looked at that was doing bone marrow. Oh, really? I'm like, all right, we can do that. You know, <laughs> it works. So we figured out how to make it work a little bit differently. Um, um, but that's something as we've grown in different markets in different cities, it's like that's been an internal challenge is how do we not lose that and let's say become too homogenized. So um, we have our culinary committee and, and we're always looking at that and, and um, figuring out how we can do those things that are out of the box. And for us, it's something that's always been in our DNA. So it's not something that we see that's happening on the street and we're like, Oh, we got to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's made it, I think easier for us. How have you evolved? I mean, do you, have you changed the concept over time and, and what were some of the things that maybe led you to make those changes? Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I've been saying, I think a lot, but that's, <laughs> you got to think you know, in this industry. Think. <laughs> um, our, our evolution is how do we get more streamlined? I won't say simplified because that, might have the uh, wrong word, but it's somewhere between simplified and, and streamlined. So um, where maybe early on it was possible to have so many moving parts in, in our execution or our preparation. And as we've grown, it's, it's I can't 
be there all the time. Jason can't be there all the time. Um, just the economics and the labor force. And so, so part of that has been, um, almost like sometimes menu contraction or just planning or just getting better and not the winging at moments yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have to be less, um, <laughs> More predictability. Exactly. And and communication. Mm. You know, as you grow, and and it's not just, it's easy to communicate to four managers in two states. But now that it's 12 managers in, you know, in in five states and and some 3,000 miles away, it's just like, how do we, um, you know, keep communicating, give everybody the tools that they need to succeed? Um, And so a lot of that is just, uh, our internal growth, I think, as a company, not as much external that the customer is going to see. What about the sourcing component? How has that changed? Have, have there been any ways you've had to sort of bend the rules that you started with? Not really, you know, that's and, and, and that's a credit to Jason and, and my partner and a lot of the, the systems that he put in place. Um, you know, we've really, I think if we ever got to a point where maybe a hundred locations mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. know, that, that might be different, but I think we're, we're built for speed in terms of the next two, three waves of growth. Yeah. Explain those waves of growth. I and mean, where do you, where yeah. do you see this going in the, in the yeah. coming years? Yeah. Our big focus is in the Southeast. Yeah. You know, um, we had some emotional heartstrings to California in the Berkeley area and Jason had gone to school there and some, some people we knew out there. Um, and, um, but really, if we when we look at the growth and our, our people and our team and what makes more sense is is to sort of still trying to fill out the the, the southeast and, and those markets and then see what might happen from there. Sure. Yeah. Obviously, southeast great for agriculture, mm-hmm. but you know there's a real identity here in the south um, yeah. that uh, you know when you say you're a concept born and bred in the south that mm-hmm. kind of means something. Yeah. Do you is that is that something you trade on? Is that something that is is one of Farmburger's values? I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are some things that, like you said, the bone marrow, you know, we have collard greens on our menu. You know, we have uh, from time to time, you know, grits with some pulled pork or, or something on there, little, little snacks. So we we do try to keep that southern influence in, in what we do um, because that's really where we came from also. So we have okra, fried okra is a big seasonal product for us and so we don't do it all year round because we know okra season is is going to be june through october november and so we that's when it comes and people look forward to it and so those are the little things we can keep to our roots so i imagine you have to do a lot of planning to enter a new market is there just a, a whole lot of sort of framework you have to create in order to do that um that's that would probably be the winging it factor you know <laughs> and, and i think we're trying to get much better at, at as we grow we know we can't be everywhere all the time you know so th- that's our big i think 2019 <laughs> plan is like let's really figure out how the best way to use our resources in any, sure. any new markets yeah well george last question for you if you were to leave aspiring fast casual restaurant operators with one piece of advice from what you've learned over the last 10 years what do you think that would be I think when you're starting something off, you need to be committed to it. You need to really be into it. I, I think there are a lot of concepts that I see and in, in, in brands, and ultimately we're restaurants, right? We're not brands. We're not serving a brand. No one says, what brand do you want to go eat at tonight? And they're like, what restaurant do you want to go eat at tonight? And just kind of remembering that and that 
whether it's the first one or the third one, it, it's a lot of, of work, I think, in those four walls to, to make that happen. And so ideas can be great, you know, but it's, it's get ready to roll up your sleeves and execute. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, George, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to sit down with me today. Right. Appreciate no it. It's great. Take care. Well, there you have it. That's my conversation with Farnberger co-founder George Frangos. Uh, thanks again so much for listening. Again, you can subscribe to Fast Forward uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Uh, and we'd love to get your feedback. Uh, leave a review on one of those sites, or please feel free to reach out to me, sam at qsrmagazine.com. Uh, we'd love to know what you think about the podcast, and certainly if you have any uh, uh, thoughts on who we should interview for this series, we'd love to hear that as well. Thanks again for listening, and stay tuned tuned for our future conversations with other fast casual leaders. Uh, Until then, we will talk to you soon.